All right. Well, I know I know a bunch of people have already said this, but um, I'm super thankful that you're joining us tonight. And uh, we are going to be jumping into a one-off sermon tonight. Uh, we are kind of in between series. We just finished uh, about six weeks in the book of Psalms, and we hope that you enjoyed that, and hope that uh, the last, especially the last couple of weeks, maybe brought peace to you. And, and last week, as we had a time, was that last week that we had a time of prayer at the end of the sermon? Was that last week? Was that two weeks ago? Oh my gosh, timelines, it's so crazy. Okay, so we hope that just the last couple of weeks have brought peace to you as we looked, looked through Psalm 23. And so we're going to do a one-off sermon today in Galatians. So if you want to grab your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 26, and we're going to study that and look at it and see how it applies to us. And... Um, as you are turning there, um, I want to just give you a little bit of context to the book of Galatians, especially since we're not in a series through uh, Galatians. Um, so what we know as the book of Galatians, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians in the region of Galatia. Uh, the central theme of this letter was talking it was Paul talking to these Christians about uh, the liberty and freedom that the Christian experiences um, when they surrender their life to Jesus. Um, these believers in Galatia, they struggled um, with the reality that faith in Jesus comes by faith and not by works. Um, another struggle they were facing was the abuse of their freedom in Christ. They, they viewed their freedom in Christ as a license to do whatever they wanted because, quote, they could just ask for forgiveness. I think all of, human, all of humanity um, who has, or everyone who has experienced a Christian faith or even dove into the Christian faith at all has probably thought that at one point or another. So, if I give my life to Jesus, I can kind of just do whatever I want then and just ask for forgiveness. Well, the reality is, the answer is no, we can't do that. Um, but then in the beginning portion of chapter 5, Paul begins to uh, address the abuse of this liberty um, from the law directly. And so tonight we will explore how, how our personal growth as a Christian directly affects the people around us. So the, the things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we do affect the people around us. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So would you stand with me as Carson comes? Carson is going to read our text, Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. If you are on the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, um, you can find um, the, the passage there as well as a place for you to take notes. Here you are, sir. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are vicious sexual immorality, impurity, and 
Absolutely. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, to let, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Awesome. Thanks, Carson. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. That was a huge chunk. Good job. So we're going to walk through this text in a few different chunks, about three-ish chunks. So the first one that we're going to look at is verses 13 through 15. But before we do that, if you were to summarize all of these verses, you could summarize it this way. Following Christ should cause you to serve one another. So if you're taking notes and if you're trying to decide what you might want to write down, I believe this would be an important thing for you to write down. Following Christ should cause you to serve one another. Um, When someone in your life has a special place in your heart, I want to think about that. I want you to think about that person. Someone who has a special place in your heart, you do things for that person that you wouldn't do for anyone else. Um, the first thing, the first example I want to give you is just the other night, um, Megan made uh, a dinner, and it was the next day, and I was going to eat it for lunch, and it was really good. I wasn't home for that night to eat it, and so um, she had her portion of it, and what was left was my portion, and I was heating it up, and she was talking about how she was really excited to eat it, or wished that she could have it, and I was like, you know what, Megan, you can totally have it, and it totally made her day, and she loved it, and I really wanted it. And I would never do that for like anyone else, okay? Just so you know, you're not getting my food that I'm looking forward to. Um, But I love Megan deeply, and so I will sacrifice leftovers that I am enjoying because I know that she'll enjoy them as well. Um, And then when it comes to like activities, like you wouldn't do something that you don't want to do unless that person, what? has a special place in your heart. So I want to ask you, what is like an activity or something that you would never do unless like someone that you love or, you know, has a special place in your heart would ask you to do? Like you wouldn't do it unless they are the person asking you. Yeah. Go shooting. Like guns? Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Anna. Last chicken nugget. Okay, here's a follow-up question. McDonald's or Burger King chicken nuggets? Neither? Okay. What? Ooh, that's a good answer. Okay. Yeah. Huh? Clean your room. Who's the person who is going to do it with you? Oh, okay. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Tristan, what were you going to say? Oh, okay. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, go for it. School? Good answer. Yeah. Huh? Getting up early to see this, the sunrise, or just in general. <laughs> yeah. Allie, did you have your skydive? Okay. Okay. Who would be the person that I would have to ask you? Oh, 
Tell you what, I've I've skydived before, and I will skydive over bungee jumping. Bungee jumping is seems way too sketchy for me. I don't know. That's usually where they do it. I feel like. No, but these are these are good things for us to think about. So if someone that you love asks you to do something or like an activity or something like that, you will probably say yes to them. But if it's some rando or if I tell you, hey, uh, go clean your room or, hey, go skydiving with me, like you probably wouldn't do those things. Um, and and uh, our text uh, says that as a follower of Christ, you experience freedom, but that freedom should not cause you not to love one another. So that love for a person causes you to do and not to do certain things. And in this context of Galatians chapter 5, your love is expressed through serving one another, as verse 13 says, humbly in love. And this is the opposite of what you naturally desire as a human being. The opposite of serving one another humbly in love is to live for yourself. Um, When you are guided by selfishness, your motivation is to do what is best for you. You think about others last, and you don't consider how your actions, attitudes, or words might affect others. And the original audience this letter was written to struggled to grasp the reality that they had received freedom from their sin, but this freedom did not give them the right to do whatever, as I've said before. Paul reminds them to submit their desires, to submit their will and life to the Holy Spirit. They were to be guided by the Holy Spirit to live a life that is holy and set apart. And this was how they could love God and love the people around them. And so Paul continues on this topic of gratifying yourself and how to combat this selfishness. Verse 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So this is, this is about the, the believer's desires being at war with one another. He's saying that if you walk by the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what he says in verse 16. So, you know, naturally how we're studying our Bible, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are the desires of the flesh? Is he talking about specific things? And in this context, he is talking about specific things. So verses 19 through 21, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. This is really important. These three words are very important, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, so this is not the first time that these people have heard this, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives a list of um, things that result from living by our fleshly desires, being led and driven by our fleshly desires. And this list by no means is is exhaustive. It's not the end-all, be-all, hence in verse 21 why he says, and the like. Um, These aren't the only works of the flesh, but give a starting point for the reader to see what God sees 
as important for the believer to flee from. And this list can kind of be broken up into like four categories. And these categories aren't perfect, um, but they're close. Uh, Verse 19, he lists a couple of sexual sins. The next one in verse 20, he kind of lists uh, religious sins. Uh, The third one is this group is kind of like people sins. And then the last group is social sin. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to break down these different categories a little bit. So the first category, um, sexual sin. In verse 19, so he lists, uh, the first thing he lists is sexual immorality. And this is a broad term to describe any sexual activity outside of the context of a biblically designed marriage. If you were to look at the original language that we um, translate sexual immorality, that is kind of the definition that you will gather. The next thing that he talks about is impurity. Um, This is another broad term to uh, reference or refer to moral impurity. And this uh, word could include pornography, inappropriate sexual talk, or the like. Uh, The last one that he talks about is debauchery. It's not usually a word that we use very often. Um, But it's describing an open and shameless life of sin, specifically in the area of sexual sin. And so then he moves on to this next group, kind of these, quote, religious sins. Uh, In verse 20, the first one, idolatry. It's worshiping other gods or placing other things or people in the place that God should be. It is things or people that are receiving the full allegiance of you as a person. And the next thing that he, uh, he talks about and he lists is witchcraft. And this one was really, really interesting to me, something that I learned in studying this. Because in the original language where we get this word and we translate this word witchcraft is the word pharmakei or whatever, uh, which is where we get the word pharmacy. And so in this time period, what would happen is people would take drugs as um, a way of worshiping their gods. So they would take these drugs to, to get them to a different state, a different state of mind, and that was how they participated um, in worship. It would create like this trance to experience different things. So I thought that was a really, really interesting thing. But that is what Paul is referencing when he says witchcraft. So then he moves on to this next group, these kind of, quote, people sins, verse 20 through 21. And each of these things, each of these things directly affects how people treat one another. He lists hatred, which I think hatred is probably something that we understand. Um, Discord. Um, This could be described as people having unhealthy tension, friction, or hostility towards each other. Tension isn't always bad, but unhealthy tension and friction and hostility is bad. He talks about jealousy. The next one is fits of rage, and the original um, language suggests that this is the eruption of your deep-seated anger, discord, and jealousy. This is losing your temper because of the anger and jealousy that's in your heart. He then goes on to say selfish ambition. This describes the person who will always ask, what do I get out of this? Dissensions means divisions among people. Factions, and this could also be translated as people who are intolerant of anything different from their beliefs. I want to read you a quote from Thomas Barclay. He said this, There is all the difference in the world between believing that we are right and believing that everyone is wrong. Unshakable conviction is a Christian virtue. Unyielding intolerance is a sin. So I want you just that one just to kind of sink into your heart and into your mind for just a moment. This is a big one. 
being intolerant of anything different from your beliefs and being um, rude, being arrogant, and being angry in the process. I'm going to move on because there's a lot of keyboard warriors in the world that that would fall under. Anyways, envy. How this differs from jealousy is that jealousy desires what someone else has, and envy is feeling bitter because someone has something that you don't have. You get upset because someone has something that you feel like you've worked hard for, but you don't have. And then he moves on to the next and the final category, social sin. These would be categorized as things that typically occur in social environments. The first one is drunkenness. Um, the Bible is pretty clear, does not forbid Christians from drinking alcohol, um, but it clearly prohibits drunkenness in many different passages throughout Scripture. Um, and then the last one was orgies. The original language suggests that Paul was referencing common parties that would take place in the Roman world. And one commentator said this, such parties were wild, alcohol-fueled events featuring all sorts of inappropriate sexual behavior, excessive eating and drinking, wild dancing, and sexual immorality, sometimes as part of the worship of pagan gods. And as I said a few moments ago, this is not an, ex an exhaustive list by any means, but it's rather a starting point um, to point out how the desires of the flesh can be seen in a person's life. And maybe for you, you look at that list and maybe there was a couple other things that popped into your head of, of how we are being driven, maybe how you are being driven, not by the desires of the spirit, but the desires of the flesh. And at the end of verse 21, um, Paul says something that can be a little confusing. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, speaking of the um, being driven by the desires of the flesh, he says that those who live like this will not inherit, inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you, as you read this, you might ask this question, um, if a person commits any of these sins, can they be a Christian? Maybe you've asked a question um, to yourself similar to that. And I want to say it's a really valid question, and we're going to briefly explore that. Um, Paul said in verse 17 that our fleshly desires and the desires of the Spirit are at war with one another. There will be times when you give in to the desires of the flesh. The Bible clearly states that as Christians, you will continue to struggle with sin as a believer. And the difference lies with whether or not you are repentant of that sin. Because the reality is this, we are imperfect and there will be times when as a Christian you choose to do something that is contrary to what honors Christ. And so the person that Paul is referencing is a person who continually chooses to sin. Continually choosing to sin is unrepentant and has no change of heart. They have not allowed the Holy Spirit to sanctify and transform them into God's likeness. And so a Christian can struggle with these sins, but we must look at our motivation in one, committing those sins and asking the question, are we repentant of those sins? And remember the context of this passage. It's not, well, I can do these things and just ask for forgiveness and be okay, because that's not what we can do. And so, but realizing that we are human beings who are sinful and we are imperfect and we will struggle with these, with these things. Okay, so now Paul will show um, what being driven by the desires of the Spirit looks like. And this is a passage that maybe many of you have heard before. Uh, 22 through 26 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, peace, 
forbearance, also known as patience, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoked, and envying each other. So what's important to note here um, that Paul says these things are the fruit of the Spirit. This is something new to me that I've never known before. Notice that fruit is not plural. It is not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit. So he means that the Christian being sanctified and transformed by the Holy Spirit does not just exemplify one of these things. As the believer is changed and transformed, this group of fruit is displayed in the life of a Christian. So as a follower of Jesus um, devotes themselves to the work of the Spirit, their life changes from the inside out. The person who is being transformed displays all of these things. The follower of Jesus embodies love. The original word translated for love means to sacrificially and selflessly love one another. This type of love is a person's decision, not a feeling that they feel. The follower of Jesus embodies joy. And the joy that Paul is referencing is not based on outside circumstances, but on the reality that they are in Christ and he holds them together no matter what. The the follower of Jesus embodies peace. As Philippians 4 verse 7 says, the believer's peace does not come from the things going right, but from knowing who is with you as a believer. The follower of Jesus embodies patience. Martin Luther said this. He said, patience is that quality which enables a person to bear adversity, injury, reproach, and makes them patient to wait for the improvement of those who have done him wrong. To withstand his continued assaults, we must patiently wait for the devil to get tired of his game. Kindness and goodness. The follower of Jesus embodies faithfulness. A faithful believer is trustworthy and consistent with people and God. They are gentle. And this also marks a person who is submissive to the word of God and humbly carries themselves. And then Paul finally says this, being self-controlled. And in this context, Paul is referring to self-control mainly in the resisting of the desires of the flesh by the work of the Spirit. However, self-control obviously plays into so many different areas of the believer's life. But I want to um, ask a question, two questions as we conclude the sermon, and they're this. Is your life led by the Spirit? Does your life display the fruit of the Spirit? And does that cause you to serve others? As we look at our, our text, that's what this text is asking of us. It's what it's teaching us. And so I want to leave you with a big idea, and then we're going to go into our small groups. It's this. The Holy Spirit working in a believer produces transformation. As a believer submits themselves to the work of the Spirit in their heart, 
It produces transformation, not just in them personally, but in the way that they interact with people, the way that they treat people, and the way that they speak to people. And so we're going to go into our small groups. We're going to walk through some questions of how to um, put this into practice, how to process this um, on a personal level, but also on a corporate level, and how we can embody this as a, as a people and as a church. And um, when you are finished, your small group leader will dismiss you. Um, we do have snacks tonight and so we're pretty excited about that yeah so guys are in the back of the room girls are in the front high school is on this side middle school is on this side